welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Welcome to episode 151. This is Sheldon Grant from Panoramic Outdoors. Today's episode is brought to us by Co-op. If you're looking to get into something like agricultural, fuel, groceries, whatever, uh, go check out your local co-op. They got stuff like from A to Z kind of idea, and they're all over this country in Canada. So even if you're coming up to visit to do some you know, fishing this summer, uh, maybe some hunting this fall, check out those co-ops because they're awesome. They have uh, you know, full-serve gas stations, and they have awesome convenience stores with their gas stations as well. You're going to get your fuel while you're traveling. Make sure you stop at co-op. Today's guest is Grayson Fair from Fair Forge Works. Um, so he's going to be joining us here shortly with Tristan and I. But for the intro outro, I've got April Dawn Willis. Well, um, I guess to start off, why don't you give me a little lowdown on what you've been up to the last few weeks when it comes to fishing? Because I haven't been out and I need to live through you when it comes to catching some fish. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, I really haven't been out fishing much. <laughs> oh, no. But um, you're out like catching or catching mushrooms. Well, if you're on mushrooms, you might catch mushrooms, but you're out <laughs> picking mushrooms, right? I was out picking mushrooms. So would that be two weekends ago? We, Melissa and I, um, Turkey Girl and I went up to my parents' house and we took up the citizen canvas tent and we camped at mom and dad's um, up in the bush and uh, we picked mushrooms all weekend, which was fun. I expected more. Just, I don't know, like in my childhood, I feel like I remember picking more mushrooms when I was mm. there. Just like there was an abundance of them. And I feel like there's a little less right now. So that, uh, that you know, like th- that part of it kind of sucked that you didn't get as much as you thought you would. But I, I'm uh, trying to be more positive in my life these days and be like, you know what? I'm just happy that we got something and or found some and and you know in areas that I do remember picking and areas that I'll hopefully remember to pick next year. And you know, spending the time with my parents was really nice. So that was two weekends ago, and then um, buddy Blake Morkin there, Blake Morkin Outdoors. He uh, he was fishing a tournament last weekend a walleye tournament so i did go out um i did go out and pre-fish with him a couple days before the tournament uh later in the day so that was fun we were out for walleye and caught some i caught some nice walleye more than him (laughs) and then on the weekend so the because i would have fished that tournament with him probably um after kwt i just found that blake and i work well together so I would have fished that with him, but we had the Manitoba Wildlife Federation's program, um, becoming an outdoor woman at uh, Austin area on the weekend. Hmm. I heard a little so bit I'm, about that. Yeah, it's uh, I, I don't know. It's a great weekend. We've been doing it for. I think I had a memory come up on my cell phone, uh, like on Facebook or something, that this is our seventh year, I believe. So oh, we've yeah. been going every year except for COVID. 
which I guess technically wouldn't be our seventh year. It would be more like our fifth or something like that. But we've gone every, you know, every year since whatever, whatever seven years ago was teens, the 2000 teens. teens. Yeah. (laughs) We've gone every year since then, um, except for the COVID years. So we had that, which was a long weekend. I taught um, archery uh archery with janessa and then bow hunting with melissa and then melissa and janessa taught tree stand safety and i just kind of hung around for support moral support (laughs) just kind of helped them if they needed it i was chatting with chaser and he said it was a good time and then he said he ended up on the rooftop of some shack i don't know i don't know like or no was this the, maybe what was chase there was this the same event yeah chase was there oh yeah 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 so he, like he said they're having a few cocktails and he was on their like second floor of some building and some guys like oh chase brought a guitar go grab your guitar and so he ended up playing guitar up there for oh, like three goodness. or four hours i but, i do remember somebody saying that they there was a group of people that were up quite late playing oh, yeah. some music i was not part of that so to rewind to blake Markman. I hope he's listening to this because I think that kid is, is a nice, like a really great guy. And I feel terrible because sometimes we get texting and then I kind of forget and I could maybe leave him on red for too long. And then I'm like, oh shit, what about Blake? So hopefully if he's listening, I apologize for not responding. I'll, right I'll talk to him. To him. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like, talk I to him. I'm like yeah. me and Melissa are pretty much like his big sisters. Oh yeah. He'll call me and um, be like, are you proud of me for this? I'm like, yeah, but did you clean your truck? that's what i need to know (laughs) a couple other things on the on the agenda tonight is the jig and minnow fishing team have you ever seen them around instagram or anything a little bit smaller instagram yeah a little bit smaller accounts but they're going to fish in i think the lake of the prairies one is this weekend oh yeah so i was talking with sasha there he's one of the guys in the group and um yeah i'm super excited to see how they're gonna how they're gonna do that i think they fished a few times now and they fish other little tournaments but they're getting into it and uh we're, we're kind of supporting them the way uh, as they go as much as we can so mm-hmm. uh if anybody's out there listening go and check them give them a follow jacob minnow fishing team on instagram the other thing i was gonna mention now i probably won't be able to remember it oh the fair forge works knives we've got some and you also got some because you're taking doing some content pieces yeah. with them what is your what is your first thoughts on them like when you got them out of the packaging um my first thought when i pulled them out of the packaging was they're very very um i don't know i I always like to use the word beautiful but sometimes i don't like to use that word for male people or things or whatever so they're very good looking knives i guess like that was the first thing i noticed was I thought they were really pretty, very good looking knives. And then you kind of pull them out and you start playing around with them. And I, I really like them. And I think because, you know, you, I don't know, you go to Walmart or you go to Canadian Tire or you go to Cabela's and you grab that, you know, dirty old filleting knife with an orange handle and you just throw it away at the end. And I feel like, I feel like with well-made knives or custom-made knives, like I will try to be better with my knives and try to keep them longer and instead of tossing them like you'll go and actually get them sharpened and just take better care of them overall mm. yeah i think i might have referenced my sunglasses to that in this episode it might have been i can't remember now but it's same with like 
I used to wear like garage, you know, or not garage, gas station uh, glasses all the time. And mm-hmm. then I finally bought my like, my first pair of like good sunglasses and it seemed like I kept them for a lot longer, kept them in better shape, looked after them. Right. So I'm kind of thinking that's going to be the same with this filleting knife that I got from Fair Forge Works. But yeah, like I, the the podcast episode was awesome because he goes through the different styles of knives and steel and stuff and like maybe what you should look for on different styles of say hunting or not really hunting, but like processing animals or like filleting or whatever. So it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. The last thing I wanted to ask you in this intro was the plans for the summer. Like um, I may or may not have seen you might have a boat for sale. Oh, I do have a boat for sale. Is it sold? Uh no it's not i have some very interested parties um but it is currently not sold oh so if you want it well i'm out better come look at it (laughs) i'm asking because i'm wondering if there's going to be like an upgrade here or like what's what's the plan for your fishing this summer um well okay uh so I mean, it's probably not hugely well-known or anything like that, but anybody who's followed my Instagram and maybe actually read a caption or two might know that my father-in-law passed almost two months ago now, and um, we sort of inherited his boat. And so he has a much nicer boat than we do. (laughs) So we've kind of inherited his boat, and uh, we, we had been talking about selling our boat anyway before that had even happened and before getting inheriting his boat was even a a thought. So we were talking about selling our boat and just, we sold our camper as well. And just sort of, we had been talking about how we're kind of at the stage right now where I would almost like, I, I, we almost prefer to get an Airbnb. Like it's nice to, it's really nice to roll up to a house or a building or a cabin Mm -hmm. or something like that with your like food and you know linens and stuff like that are already there and a couch and an air conditioner or a wood stove or whatever so we've been really enjoying that we've done that you know quite a few times in the past few years with groups and not with groups and stuff like that and and i think we're just finding we're the sort of people that like that style better than having a, a camper or a trailer so, and, you know, we had said, you know, if, um, if for some reason we're feeling like we just absolutely have to have a camper for this specific event, then we can go and we can rent a camper for 150 bucks a day or whatever it is. Yeah. So, and with Brennan being away most of the time, um, it just, I was not comfortable in the past few years. I was not comfortable hauling the trailer by myself. I think this year or the next year might have been a little bit different because I've been hauling both the camper and the boat back and forth back and forth from storage by myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I was getting a little bit more comfortable with it, but I'm, I don't know, I'm fine with the decision. I really am. I, I enjoy rolling up to a cabin and not like dragging a camper and having to do all of this camper stuff. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a lot of fun, but, and you know, if I had the choice, I'd pick an Airbnb or a cabin over a camper anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, then there's like the, the you can factor in the comfortability and like, you know, you can factor in a bunch of things. And then you can also factor in like if you're going to pull a camper, um, you know, four or five hours or whatever it may be, you're looking at a bunch of money that you could put into an Airbnb instead yeah. of pulling a camper for paying for that fuel, right? Yeah. Wear and tear and everything else. And 
Yeah. It's like, and yeah, same thing. There's, and it's the rental business with like campers. And even I've seen a few boats and like even quads and stuff now, especially in Saskatchewan. Yeah. People are renting out like um, equipment or not equipment, but like UTVs and stuff like that. Like it's becoming more and more of a business where I think that's the way to do things. Like, you know, there's some people there that spend thousands of dollars tens of thousands of dollars on campers and only camp two or three times and then there's people mm-hmm. that spend the same money amount of money and are camping every weekend so mm-hmm. obviously it's for different different strokes for different folks yeah and I, um, I found we had a couple conversations where we were talking about upgrading the camper and he's saying i want bigger i want bigger i want bigger and i'm like can we get a smaller one so that i could pull it like by myself and we could never agree on that so now it's just like well we don't have one and we don't have to agree or disagree now that that issue is just gone yeah and like i'm like and i'm maybe not that in that part of my life where i understand a big camper like i've always thought like small campers like even like our citizen canvas tent i think the like things like that are very like more cozy i guess and not only that like i don't i wouldn't think of my time camping is spent in the trailer let's mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. unless it was like an absolute storm and you need shelter but like you can like i have a screen tent that i set up and i got like other things where i'm always outside anyways the only time i would sleep would be inside the camper but um have you listened to the latest podcast with the with mr sean from harvester mm-hmm. what'd you think i enjoyed it so he's got um have you listened to any of his singles or that one single that came out? Um, no, I haven't had a chance yet. I and I was like super. I can't remember if it was the podcast or something else that it must have been something to do with the podcast that had you know mentioned or or in stories or something like that on Instagram that he's he is a artist and a, a singer and I was just like what? <laughs> how, how does he have enough time? How does he have enough time to run a business and like do shows and stuff? <laughs> yeah yeah he's uh he's quite the character and i really enjoyed that episode him and tristan had some really good banter but he has that one single it's called the rolling stone so mm-hmm. you can find that on spotify and, and apple and stuff check that out but i know he's got i think like i can't remember if i dreamt this or not but he's got some singles coming out or i don't know if they're i don't know the music industry but he's got more songs coming out as time progresses here in june so i think like maybe june 14th or something like that there's gonna be another one and yeah, so make sure that you either follow him on Instagram, Facebook, um, or he's got a website, the Sean Taylor Band, um, and you can pick up his merch. And, you know, the one thing, we've had Del Barbaron, who's another artist and who does our intro and outro songs. Oh, yeah. One thing that he always, not always says, but he's mentioned to us, is like the best way to support a local artist isn't necessarily downloading song. Like, yeah, that's great. But, like, buying their merch and buying, you know, if you can support them by just putting on a t-shirt, not only does that help market them, but it puts a little bit of money in their pocket so that they can keep producing music and being the artists that they want to be. Right. So mm-hmm. support our local musicians. How about that? How about that? That being said, I'd like to give a huge shout out to Harvester Outdoors and, and everything that they've done for Panoramic Outdoors. They're a huge supporter of ours. So we want to be a huge supporter of them. So if you're ever in Selkirk, go down to Mercy Street, Go check out Harvester Outdoors. Not only do they have your commercial fishing uh, equipment that you might need uh, as a commercial fisherman, but they also got stuff for your recreational angling. They've got stuff for hunting and they've got um, ammunition and, and firearms too. So the one thing that I did take away from that podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago is that he can, I think he's got a guy that can find you basically any gun you want. So 
He's got uh, a guy. Look, he's got a guy. <laughs> so if you're looking, I mean, give him a call by the very least or check out the website. He's got actually a very, very cool website with a lot of product on there. So Harvester Outdoors, check him out. Why? Um, I, I need to ask why you're not going to be out fishing. Is it because of work? Well, yeah, there's been a few things that's come up in the last couple of weeks that I haven't gone fishing. But the cool thing about, or not the cool thing, but the one thing that I did do in time, thank you very much, is put in my big game draw. Oh. Did you put in for anywhere? I didn't put in this year. My dad put in. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, And dad, dad escorted me last year. When I hunted elk, because I've never hunted elk before, uh, I had put in a couple of times and not got drawn. Were you in and Area 30 last year? Do you remember? Yes. Am I, am I 30 or am I 28? I'd have to look. I, I know 30 is like Carberry. Everything. Yeah, except Except the like base. the actual base. Yeah. yeah. So that's me. That's 30. Okay. I always get mixed up because when I do my... When I do my questionnaires, like a, like a good steward of the land, when they yep. send me those questionnaires, I always fill them out. And uh, it's mostly been turkey hunting because turkey or deer. And I always, I always start to forget what area I am because I hunt with Melissa for turkeys. And I think she's 28. So we do 28 or 29, something like that. Oh, yeah. So you know, forget. I'll tell you something, and I don't know if I should be telling this or not, wow. but I'm going to say it anyways, and then uh, we can <laughs> edit it out if I wasn't supposed to say anything. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like general knowledge. But I think there is something coming down the pipe that to make um, that area, and I don't know if it's area 30 or area 28, but an over-a-counter tag in the future for elk, for archery. No yeah. I think there's a lot of um, agricultural interest that there's putting in uh, pressure uh, yeah. maybe on, on conservation because of the number of elk. Um, I think south of Carberry in that area, mm-hmm. uh, down by Clarney maybe and stuff like that are, are getting to, to really good numbers where um, an over-the-counter archery tag I don't think would be a huge effect, right? No, I th- and I mean, I'm sure that if they do do that, they will put a, there will be a smaller number of over-the-counter tags in the first year or two or three years or whatever so that they can you know, make sure that they're doing that sustainably. I do know, you know, from being at Melissa's quite often that the, you know, that whole Southern South of, you know, essentially South of CFB Shiloh all the way down, you know, Killarney area, all that kind of stuff that there are a lot of elk there and they do do quite a da- quite a bit of damage. Yeah, so, absolutely. They do. Well, you know, the crazy thing about elk, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you some things here. I probably already know it. Um, but anyways, I've read a few books, no big deal. And um, <laughs> they said, like, there's a lot of people in history that said that, like, the elk populations outnumbered the bison or, like, buffalo populations way back in the day in the Great Plains and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, they, they often talk about how, it, like, they had to stop trains for, like, an hour to let the bison herd go through. But, like there was so many elk throughout North America that uh, the, that number would actually be more than Buffalo or bison. I, I just, sometimes I wonder like when you, when you go out, I, I can, I could see that. Yeah. I could, I could imagine that there would have been tons and tons of elk and, you know, at some point they could have like 
been been way more in numbers than other than other um species yeah yeah there's lots around there really is and they're and they're adaptation to egg land and stuff like that like they're they're super smart like i see there's a there's a there's a herd i'm not gonna say where they are but they i see them probably when i'm traveling that area probably you know once a month let's say Mm -hmm. and and when they're standing along a field's edge near the trees they're hard to like and and say they're halfway yeah they're halfway out and the only way that i can see them sometimes is you almost see like one neck right mm-hmm. like the dark part everything else is like blended perfectly but the one i don't know if that's the sun might shine differently on them or whatever so then i'll stop and i'll i'll glass that field and yeah sure enough there'll be like 40 standing in the at the bush line yeah. and and you get your binoculars and you're like oh yeah those are 100 like you know what i mean like they're yeah. there obviously but yeah you can't see them um and even when they're like in the fields and stuff they're they're hard to see there's a herd that I have paid attention to for a couple of years now and you will never see them. Never. Oh, really? Yeah. I have never, ever seen, actually, you know what? That's a lie. I've seen a video of the herd out in daylight once and I've watched, you know, I've paid attention to this herd for years and I drive, I drive by there all the time. Like I just go out and take the time to go out there in like good, you know, in, in good, you know, in the evening or whatever it may be, because I know that they'll, if they were going to be out, they would be out around that time. And I have never, I personally have never seen the herd out. Oh yeah. So they are very sneaky. These ones. Very sneaky. Yeah. Well, and, and I, and I'm a firm believer that a lot of, maybe, in, maybe not all the herds of elk in Manitoba, but I think a lot of them get enough, let's say, Hey, road hunting pressure that, they're become nocturnal right you don't see mm-hmm. them during the day too often you know yep. and like even that herd that i was mentioned kind of in the last sentence there you'll catch them out but they're they're not they're not sticking around like they see, yeah, they come they're out not, the f- they're not wide or they're not out in the wide open field they're like right on the tree edge yeah exactly yep. and if you pull up on them and they are out in the field they they're they're well they're alert and they'll and if you're, you're you like basically if you stop for more than half a minute there they're moving right away yeah. so it's not like a white tail where they'll stand there and look at you for a while and and then you know or or be comfortable vehicles like they they definitely aren't but yeah oh. i've uh, i've seen quite a few does that you know there's a calf around because of their a calf well whatever they're <laughs> a fawn they're, you know people call them calves i, I don't I do. think i've ever heard somebody call a deer a white-tailed deer baby i've got so listen to this i've got neighbors at my or not me but my dad has neighbors that are avid white-tail hunters they call them cows and calves and i don't call them that i call them does and calves and they're avid white-tail hunters you say? yeah they they like they, they hunt all the seasons of white are they also farmers forever. no no oh, they've been hunting for years too and huh. the thing is, is i always kind of laugh because i will text them be like hey what'd you see tonight because we don't hunt far from each other and they're like oh i've seen like eight cows and a couple calves i was like oh yeah and a buck I like, oh yeah cool anyways um yeah but i've i've seen quite a few does that you can tell that there's um fawns with them but they're not mm-hmm. they're hidden yeah because just they're the way they're acting like they they don't move that far and mm-hmm. We have a 
So we have, um, what are we, 13.7 or 14.7? I can't remember. I think it's 13.7 acres here. And for the past, so I have lived here. Brandon bought this house before him and him and I were together, but I moved in shortly after. So I think I've been on this property for seven or eight years, something like that now. And every year that I can remember, like there's never, there has not been a year that like sticks out to me where I would think otherwise, but every year that I can remember, I always have a doe that has twins. Oh yeah. And I haven't seen, I haven't seen her yet. And usually she will be in the back of our, in the back of our yard. Like she, I guess she's just used to the dog and used to the noise and everything like that. And I have not seen her yet, which worries me because we do have a few people that come down here. Like we have some pretty bad poaching down here, um, like road hunters and stuff like that. And, and then we have had some people that would come down and just take a doe or whatever. And last year rifle opener was scary around here so i hope that she made it yeah i got i gotta tell you now and i gotta tell you one more story and the thing is is that you're the one that always gives us shit that our intros are too long but this is your fault (laughs) here we are (laughs) yeah here we go so my um i like kind of like my stepbrother he he lives up by inglis years ago a farmer phoned him and was like hey there's like this cat uh, a fawn in with my cattle must have followed the cattle into the to, to mm-hmm. the water or to feed or whatever and it was just tiny and um so they so he went over there and he like grabbed it and i think he ended up calling conservation or whatever and they whatever they, it was all good except for he had to like try to get this thing to eat because it was like weak and skinny and just tiny mm-hmm. um so he tried like milk powder milk tried a bunch of things and then finally did some research on the internet and got some goat's milk and it took it right away and it ended up growing to be like um almost like a dwarf almost like a really i don't know yeah like a grunt or whatever um and i've been talking to some people and they say like sometimes the you know mothers of a bunch of different types of species if they have like a a grunt type um baby or whatever right they'll they'll just leave it because it's not worth like the energy and the food to try to get it to grow when they've got hmm. another one so it could be like a twin or a triplet that was just not big well sometimes um, i'm not done we... my story april oh, i'm sorry um <laughs> so then oh no he just messed everything right up oh so then anyways he ends up like getting it back healthy and everything like that um it's in the wild and ever since then i don't know if it still does now because this is quite a few years ago but it'll show back up in the spring and the summer and like mm-hmm. come to the house and like like they can like basically walk up to it and blah 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 and then like a few years after that they uh it showed up with a calf or a, a fawn no way yeah that's so awesome. it's a cool recovery story anyways now you can tell your story um i was just gonna say that we've seen sometimes with poultry that uh, when you have a hatch the the stronger chicks will essentially like kill if there's a chick that has like wicked problems um the stronger chicks will kill it or like usually we will take it away before that happens right but, but they will pick on it and just mercilessly so it's almost like nature knows yeah but birds are savages they are like they're they're <laughs> terrible 
Anyways, I guess we shouldn't make this intro too much longer. Uh, Fairs Forgeworks is up next. Enjoy. Well, tonight's guest, we're pretty happy to have him on. We met him at the Manitoba Outdoor Show um, back in like February, I believe. You had a beautiful booth there with a bunch of um, knives and, and equipment that you can use in the outdoors and got talking with him and we've been using his product here for the last few months. So we had to get him on to talk about making knives. Uh, welcome to the show, Grace and Fair. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to, glad to be on the show and uh, looking forward to talking a bit about what I do and what I, what I make and see how, how you guys like it. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're pumped to have you on too, because there's a, there's a few things that we, oh, I'll, I'll speak for myself, not for Tristan, but a few things that I really like um, and, and doing these podcasts and stuff is a meeting like new people that are kind of in the industry of the outdoors, but be supporting local people, right? Like supporting the smaller guys. Like I'd rather, you know, take one of your knives and, and, and use it and, and um, then, you know, buy a knife from a big box store. So I'm, so I'm super pumped to have one of yours now in my, uh, in my trinket or my like backpack, I guess, not a trinket my backpack so um but we're gonna start out with five burning questions i got the first one uh maybe i'll do the first couple and then tristan can do the last few if that works and uh my first question i ask everyone it so i gotta ask you if you had one last meal uh what would you have and what would you have to drink with it okay that that's a tough one so like i kind of either want to go like something that that's really uh you know fancy and and whatever but i also kind of want something more sentimental too so i kind of have to have to decide it, it, it might be I think I might go the sentimental route like like kind of because I'm I'm Mennonite so I kind of grew up uh you know eating some more traditional Mennonite foods like Branica which is like a, a Mennonite version of brogies with cottage cheese inside instead nice. of the uh, uh, uh yeah instead of potatoes so like there's that and there's like a special gravy with it and like farmer sausage and I might do that just because like that's kind of like one of my one of my favorites from when I was uh, when I was younger, and I'd probably go with something simple like uh, I don't know, just just like a Pepsi or something. I'm I'm a Pepsi guy, so I think I'd uh, <laughs> have to do that. Nice, um, yeah. Progies are awesome. I I think I've had. What did you say they're called? It's called Veronica. Right. Yeah, I've had it. Say it I've different had, ways. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that before too, and um, yeah, I really like enjoy those. Um, my next question for you is: if you did have like, if you were kind of like stuck out in the bush or somewhere, you're stuck somewhere. What type of knife would you want to have on your side that you're stuck yeah, with? Good question. Like kind of, kind of something that you could do, do everything with. So like, I kind of, I like my, my one, it's called my, my Varangian style. So it's like about a six inch blade uh, and it's a recurve blade. Uh, and it's a bit of a thicker blade. So it's three sixteenths of an inch thick. So it's not like a hugely thick, but it's pretty heavy. So you can use it for batoning, you can use it for chopping. Uh, and the recurve, I kind of do a bit of a shallower grind on the inside recurve. So if using it for feather sticking and stuff like that, then it works really good. It has a bit more control that way. So you have the control of the, the smaller blade there, but that recurve puts more weight towards the tip. So if you need to do any chopping, you can do chopping with that. So like I actually use it even for, for hiking, even though it is a bit of a heavier blade and I've got a few other blades I've designed for, for hiking because they're lighter weight. But I kind of like that one because it kind of does does a little bit of everything. I put like a, a sharp uh, uh, ferro rod notch on the back too. So like what I did with that is I use a special steel that, through hardens all the way through so like you see sometimes steels will be harder on the edge softer on the spine this one i did hard all the way through that way the back side is going to stay sharper when you're getting your, your sparks and it's high carbon steel so it's going to spark good so I, i'd probably go something about that like a six inch blade because you don't want something huge and like that six inch size is still good enough for 
for decent enough batoning, but it's not going to be, you know, holding me down. So I'd probably go something about that size. Interesting. Tristan, you got a question brewed up? Yeah. Yeah. One that I, um, I typically ask too, but I'm, I'm really interested here from you, Grayson, because you've got definitely like an artistic angle to a lot of the work you provide, but, uh, what or who inspires you? And this could be for anything, just keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of get inspirations from, from a few things like positive and, and negative, I guess, like positive in, in the way that I see things or, you know, artwork or, or, or blades that people make. And I want to emulate or, or kind of, you know, I want to take some of the, the features they did and make my mind perform like that. And others where it's like things that I have that I don't like uh, that I want to steer away from, you know? So, uh, I kind of tell a story. The first first knife I ever bought was uh, was like a small, you know, it was a kukri knife. Uh, and the first time I used it, it just like disintegrated. Like the edge completely was destroyed uh, on one chop on on wood. So was, and it, the edge geometry was just horrible for it. It was a really thin hollow grind edge. Uh, it was basically like a like a chef knife grind, but on a major chopping knife. Uh, and so like there's things like that that I want to kind of stay away from. Uh, there's a few other makers I follow. Like I follow kind of more people who do really really high-end work uh, and I think that kind of um, even though I don't do like that that crazy high-end like multiple thousand dollar plus items I kind of do more of a production high-end high production blade I guess um, but I like to follow them just to see the detail they put into their work and hope like you hope that kind of rubs off on me uh, so there's one guy like Kyle Royer who does you know insanely fancy uh, items but his attention to detail is, is crazy like he'll spend weeks just polishing a blade uh, and so he kind of showed the process of how he does that and just uh, I think surrounding myself with positive like uh, role model not really role models maybe but like you know something to strive for like okay I want to do something that good like I'm going to put that much effort into it rather than okay it's a leaf spring you kind of just cobble it together and it, it works you know I, I want to you know even if I'll never get to that level of, of quality but like just to kind of strive for that so that guy Kyle Royer there, uh, and then Freehill Blades. Uh, he is, I've followed him uh, since I was, you know, got started into knife making. So he does a lot of like recurves and mostly hunters and choppers. So he's kind of got two main models that he's done for years and a bit higher end uh, blades, but yeah, his quality is, is the same. It's is really, really unique. And he kind of blends the forging and the grinding together in a, in a really neat way. That's some interesting insight around that. It kind of reminds me of a conversation we had with April Volke, who's like, uh, she's, quite a well-known fly fisher woman and uh she was kind of explaining the difference between like you you can kind of top out your quality of your production rod but eventually at some point in time you're making like these really artistic rods and once you get into like uh eventually it's like a bamboo rod it it's not about performance anymore it's kind of about that classic style and uh like the artistic merit of of the rod itself and so it, it like kind of transforms into something completely different at, at at some point right yeah oh yeah for sure like and that's kind of where i've i've done a few of those those more artistic ones and even so like so from my hunting knives are average around 200 to 250 dollars so it's an expensive hunting knife um and i kind of try to focus more on the utility but also you know maybe put a put a 35 percent or 40 percent focus on the on the the aesthetic of it and and what i mostly try to do is i try to find a lot of synergies with my um with my choices and like materials in the way that it's gonna look better but it's also gonna perform better because it looks better so like when i go with like a handle material i, I kind of highlight like my manitoba maple burls so the burls that really nasty looking knot on the on the maple tree uh and when you cut it it's normally super soft you can't use it for a handle 
you have to stabilize it with a specialty resin in a vacuum chamber and it pulls that resin into the pores of the wood. It's very similar. Yeah. Uh, and to do that, it actually enhances the grain significantly and you can use different colors in it. So then you can get quite a, you know, a better performing handle because it's going to be waterproof. It's going to last longer, but it also looks better at the same time. So I like to try to kind of find a bit of those, like you're paying for, for a little bit of both, you know, you, you kind of get a, a, a good performing product, but also it's not going to take away from the, the, the beauty and the and the artistic side I get to play around with isn't going to take away from the, the function uh, as much as I can. And there's certain things like certain woods are more about the about the looks and you kind of say, okay, you got to oil it a bit more, you know, uh, you know, you're, it kind of depends how, how, how tough you are on it. You know, I've done lots of different testing. It's interesting to see how, how different things hold up uh, over the years. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, it's, I, it's definitely fun to play around with that. Yeah. I feel like we'll dive into that a bit deeper here when we get into the podcast, but or the rest of the cast, but we'll... Uh we'll try and get through these five burners. I, I appreciate the insight though on the, uh, on the artistic versus utility kind of yeah. <laughs> uh, angle. And I, I do want to talk about it more because I have a few questions about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, on to the next burner though. If, if you weren't making blades, what would you be up to? Probably something kind of, I don't know, maybe some, something kind of entrepreneurial. Like I, I, I think I've got a bit of an entrepreneurial uh, mindset i like i like that rush and that's kind of where unless i would had never started blades like maybe that's what kind of gave me that bug like when i'm at work i kind of do like 90 percent of my work is is knives and then 10 percent is going to be like job shop cnc work uh and i like the i like the the variability of 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 jobs you know like sometimes you don't get a job for a day or two and then you get a few jobs and i kind of like that and being able to kind of go out and hunt for jobs and figure out what people want uh so i'd have something if i could i'd, I'd like to probably try something else kind of entrepreneurial but i've tried a bit of all kinds in the past like for a while i was really interested in becoming a paramedic or uh, before i went to business school i was thinking about doing engineering um so kind of a variety of of interests but yeah probably probably something that i could try to find my way making making a living entrepreneurial wise if i could real uh renaissance style there um yeah (laughs) yeah and and then last one, uh, I guess uh, this might be interesting too, given that you're you've got kind of an edge for for the for the edge. But uh, what's one thing that scares you? Well, yeah, the big the biggest thing, especially when it comes to like my business and 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 what I do, is that it's all hand and physical work. Like if I if something goes wrong, if I break my hand and I'm out for months, that's a month I can't work. Uh, and it's all based on how much I can can work. If I can't work for a day, then I don't make money for a day. You know. Um, so be, that kind of scares me. And then also kind of if the, depending on how the market goes, right. So, uh, either people just don't care about, you know, high-end handmade stuff as much anymore or whatever. Um, like kind of the 20 years down the line is, is kind of where I'm, where I'm thinking like in, in both those terms, like what if I'm not healthy in 20 years, be able to do the stuff because it is quite physical and work. And also is the market still going to be there in, in 20 years that I can keep, can keep going. So. I guess, yeah, one thing that scares me is like 20 years in the future, I guess you could say. <laughs> Sounds like you get a few irons in the fire. I think you'll be, you're going to be okay there, Grayson. So. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Always fall back on engineering. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. You made it through the five burning questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's something that we like to do with all our guests. It's uh, t- like kind of just to get to know you a little bit and for our listeners to get to know you. So, um, yeah, thanks for doing that. But, you know, part of the reason or most of the reason why we wanted to get you on was to talk about like knives, knife making, knife making, um, and all the stuff that comes with that. So, but before we get into like kind of that stuff, do you want to maybe just give us a little bit of background on how, uh, fair forge works all started? Like where'd your passion come from for making knives? 
was it outdoors like where did it all start for you yeah yeah so it, it all started with bushcraft like we kind of lived uh when i was younger uh, just outside of the city uh, in west st paul so uh we had a property that was with field and, and bush around there so i was always into all kinds of bushcraft things i'd go out there and you know make shelters and start fires and stuff like that uh and so when i was maybe 12 or 13 i saved up my uh all my pennies uh all summer and bought a knife from a store and yeah same thing it, it chopped it it broke the first time I, I used it and I was so frustrated because I'd spent all summer and I, I was really looking forward to it. So it's like, well, this sucks. Like I'm just going to make my own. Uh, so then I researched basically all winter because I was in the fall. So researched all winter, you know, how did, how to make a good knife, you know, how to, how to make it. And I mean, I was 12 or 13, whatever it was. I researched all winter, designed my own forge. And I was still, you know, I didn't really have much money because I was 13. Uh, so I learned, okay, well, how do I make a forge? I'm going to need to do a forge. So I learned how to make that with traditional materials to chop down trees to make charcoal I did everything like old school and made a forge and the first knife I made was a leaf spring uh, and I painstakingly built it and then I used it to chop through the knife that I had bought and so after <laughs> that point I was like you know what I'm, I'm just gonna make uh, I'm gonna make them so then I and that was kind of where it started so I kind of just did that for, for a hobby for a few years and then uh, eventually I did like a trade show and I was on online on Etsy and things kind of started to roll and eventually like at that time I was doing uh first aid training, like uh, CPR stuff uh, during university. And at the time I, w I went to university for business because I wanted to get my business degree at the U of M. And I was kind of interested in that and seeing where I could, you know, go with that. So I was doing both at the same time, kind of making knives, like mostly as custom work. So that's where I started was like all custom work. People would give me something that say, okay, I want this with this handle and this type of edge. Uh, can you make it? And at the time I would just say yes and figure it out. Right. Uh, and at the time, you know, I didn't really care too much how much money I was making per hour. I was just learning skills, making some cash on the side. Uh, and then eventually became kind of more than my uh, CPR training jobs. Then I, I dropped that and just did the knives. Uh, so I did that kind of as my, my side hustle throughout university for a year or two. And then uh, 2019, I started to realize that I kind of was starting to get the production figured out and that I'd be okay doing it more in a in a production setting and i i, I kind of want to do it every day uh and so then i incorporated my company and, and started to do just really push for the sales uh and then 2020 happened and covid and everybody was inside and things kind of went nuts uh because everyone was had the money that they hadn't uh weren't going to be using on trips and we're going to buy something and go outdoors uh and so everybody was buying hunting knives and my like may which is usually my slowest month of the year was busiest month I ever had uh, May 2020 uh, so then that was busy kept me going and I just kind of kept going throughout the uh, years uh, so I do like a lot of trade shows online sales and then slowly expanding to retailers as I kind of refine my my business model so I'm in about eight eight or nine retailers maybe right now uh, throughout uh, right now just throughout Manitoba and then try to offer new new products too so like mostly hunting and outdoors that's where I started that was my bread and butter uh, but slowly expanding into culinary too. Uh, and one thing kind of I found with culinary is you're able to get um, an even higher degree of performance uh, out of a culinary blade, like a handmade culinary blade, more so than a hunting knife, I find in a lot of ways. Kind of depends on, I think, kind of kind of the, the user interface. So like you can get a much thinner edge with a handmade knife than a factory knife. Like you can, you can get them too thin. <laughs> You'd be, uh, it, it's kind of crazy how thin steel can get. And, and if you heat treat it properly, it'll hold up really well. Um, so then you kind of, there's, there's a lot you can do with that. And just another, another way medium of art too. So like, I like expressing myself through 
through art a little bit as well uh, and being able to use just literally any material uh, on the planet almost uh, you can use stone for handles i've used uh walrus bone uh that's been like it was difficult to kind of get that you know it was fossilized bone so it was like legal and all that but difficult to, to deal with and stuff like that so i've used stuff like that i've used mammoth uh ivory i've used uh, probably 30 different woods 30 different steels or so and and brass copper silver uh, gold all kinds of crazy stuff that i put into into knives uh, and so it's a fun way to you know learn how to make stuff out of a, a material that's you know is used to as the standard for not being able to make something out of like making whatever you want out of steel when steel's the the hardest thing and you know it's it's a solid thing but as soon as you heat it up it's uh it's like play-doh almost you know so that's, that's kind of how uh, i got started yeah yeah that that's quite a uh yeah that's that's an awesome journey thinking about all the things that kind of spitballed off of that first knife there um and i'm just wondering too like what was it like starting out to go back to the start? What was it like starting out with like that that real like primitive setup or whatever you might call it in the in the uh, the foraging world? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. It was. Uh, I found a bunch of old bricks in the field that had gotten like tilled up uh, when the farmers were cultivating that in the spring, I guess. Uh, so I piled together all these old broken bricks. Uh, found an old pallet too. Uh, put a pallet. Laid sand down on the on the pallet, kind of raised it up, put some bricks around there. And then the only thing I bought was a piece of pipe because I need a piece of pipe to go from a air mattress blower. And that's what I use as my blower. And then, uh, yeah, I did, I did traditional because I saw the prices of charcoal at the store. It was like 12 bucks a bag. I'd be going through like a bag an hour and I wanted to do it, you know, more than once a, once a month <laughs> for an hour. So then I learned how, well, people in the old days must have figured out something else so yeah i went down the the woods chopped down a bunch of uh, you know uh, deadfall uh, that was you know dead but standing uh so it was dry enough and then built like a charcoal torch. so you build piles of logs cover it in dirt put a little bit of uh, like a spark in the middle from the top uh and then it'll slowly kind of smolder and basically turn to yeah into charcoal uh, over the course of uh, a day or two and then you pack it full of dirt let the no so that no oxygen gets to it and it'll just stop burning uh, and that kind of makes purifies it and refines it so it's much better for forging uh, so you get much higher heat uh, so i did that because i had all the time in the world at the at that <laughs> stage of my life uh, <laughs> to just spend you know a week working to get you know a few hours of forging but as day i was free uh, and it was kind of fun you know i was out in the i was figuring stuff out and, and learning how to how to do that so Man, I gotta yeah, uh, say, when I was twelve, I was not. I was on a few adventures, but I was not making my own charcoal. Like, where did you get that information from? I gotta like. Were you, I would have. I probably would have lit yeah. like the neighborhood on fire. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. YouTube University. Yeah, that's what. Uh, uh, YouTube uh, forums and just just history, and that's kind of where it came from. It was like, well, three thousand years ago, uh, there was no, uh, you know you couldn't just go buy an electric whatever you, you had to make it with whatever was in in nature uh bricks and stone and clay and wood and i was like well if they can figure it out then we know how they did it then maybe i can figure it out too so and yeah i kind of like learning that stuff and then it was kind of kind of cool to be able to do like the really really old school ways like the way that they've done it for thousands of years uh, and i kind of did a few other things too like, like i started like copper work too because copper was was older and, and they did that uh, i was actually gonna do a, an iron smelt because uh, i found a bunch of iron ore 
because uh, yeah same thing I just kind of kept reading about history and how they did stuff like that and uh, I never ended up doing that but there's a few guys in Manitoba who've done like an, an, a traditional iron smelt to make their own steel but now that sounds like way too much work <laughs> I'll just buy my <laughs> buy my steel <laughs> I keep thinking I'm going to see a Lori for Lori for Gary any day here or something like that just working, working yeah. away in the, in the in the blacksmith hut there pretty um, much <laughs> yeah well, you, know what's, you know what's crazy about that too is like now that you're like talking about it, I know like there's a lot of people that w- that have an appreciation for like the old school way of doing things that like, in my mind, I'm like thinking that could be like a cool class to like get mm-hmm, into, you mm-hmm. know, like go and just learning how to like um, make charcoal, you know, not even yeah. getting to the knife part of it yet. You know, that could be like a three week course. There you go. Entrepreneur. I can be your partner. Yeah. I only want 51%. Yeah. <laughs> only 51. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if I would have, when I was 12, if I would have encountered something like, Hey, I don't have enough money to, to make a classic forge or something like that. I would have stopped there. I would have been like, okay, I guess I'm i uh, I'm knitting sweaters now or something like that. Yeah. I'm not, <laughs> I never would have thought to dive into the history books and like, so I give you b- bonus points there for creativity and like going to like the, I don't know, the original text, whatever you might want to call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. I don't know if it's creativity or or boredom or whatever it was, but yeah, it, was, <laughs> it got me got me out of trouble for a few years. Yeah. Hey, Grayson. You know the one thing I, before we keep moving forward, I want to kind of jump back to to the part where you're like, um, you kind of like just took took the leap and, and started your own business. And I know, um, like even like with our own our own brand and stuff like that, you got to take some like pretty big risks to keep growing, right? So like, what was that like as being a young uh, adult? Uh, in the, in the big world, you're going to make that jump and start your own business from, from a passion. Yeah. Like there, there, when I think back on it, there's a few like key, you know, key steps where it's like, that's the next big thing. Like this is the, the next big leap I'm taking. So like the first thing I remember was, was when I had to buy a professional grinder. So I was like 16, maybe, maybe a bit younger. And I was doing enough that I was like, you know what, I should buy a professional grinder. And they're, they're about a thousand bucks for the cheapest model. Uh, and at the time I had like never spent more than like 50 bucks. Uh, and so I was like, this is something I really want to do. Uh, and that was like uh, the biggest purchase. Like I, I didn't even, couldn't even believe a thousand dollars I was going to spend on something. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the biggest thing. And like, once I did that, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm in a little, you know, and that was kind of the first big, big step into it. Uh, but then like, kind of when I decided that, okay, this is the, the job I want to pursue instead of just, okay, I'm getting sales kind of randomly, but like now I actually want to make it regular. I want to make a business out of it. Um, and I think a lot of that came down to, to timing too. Uh, so I'd spent, yeah, a few years kind of working through making the knives. I had started to come up with a bit better ways of making them in a production setting. And I was still in school. So I didn't have as much uh, concerns like high school and, and, and university. So I didn't have as much concerns about paying rent or whatever, whatever, you know, other big expenses and, and, and families and stuff that I had to worry about. It was kind of more, I could kind of spend the time just focusing on that and learning my skills. And once I kind of decided, okay, I'm going to go forward in the business that was scary too because at the time it was like okay I could go on with the business or I could go do some internships which would pretty much guarantee me a, a business job you know right out of graduation uh, and so I was like well if I if I skip those internships it's gonna be really hard to find a job you know if, if all my experience is just fair forge works you know like what am I gonna how am I gonna jump into the you know job at the bank or wherever it might be right so then that was kind of a big decision um, and I, I kind of just went for it at the time because I figured I'm still I can always figure it out a little bit later, but now it would be the probably the only time that I could really go all in uh, 
for, for this right now or like the bet the best time right now i think it'd be easier in the future to go back and try something else uh so if i can right now and things are kind of going the right way then let's see if i can make it uh and and just try to keep absorbing as much information like and you guys know too like trying to start any type of business or running any type of business you have to learn so many different things you never thought you'd you'd know uh or need to know uh so just trying to absorb as much information as i can uh to keep to keep growing it um so yeah a l- little bit scary especially now that like uh i'm engaged i'm planning we're getting i'll be getting married next year so then it's going to be it's going to be two of us <laughs> and you know it's it's a bit more high stakes like it's i'm not just providing for for myself like there's there's bigger stakes in in this too so i got to make sure that i do well i got to yeah same thing like if i break my arm uh, if i break my leg whatever it is and i can't i can't literally can't provide for a month like i got to make sure i I figure that out Uh, so there's a lot of different things like that too that i've got to plan to to do but i i I like the the chase like the entrepreneurial chase of it a bit Uh, especially well mostly while it's going good you know but there's there's ups and downs every every day you know uh so uh, you you like those those highs and you get frustrated and then it keeps going but i I like the highs and the lows you know so like you kind of get the the frustration but then you come through it and this challenge so I, i i like the I like that part of it too, I guess. It's, at least right now until I get tired. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Last question about the, the startup there, but do you still have that first knife in that first forge or is that, uh, is that gone into the scrap pile? I think I still do somewhere. I've got a few of my earlier ones. I saw the first thing that I had ever like hammered on before I made like an actual knife. I have that one still. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I have that. that it was a cuckoo. I, I copied the design of the one that sucked. Uh, so then I, uh, I'm pretty sure I have it still. It was made from, yeah, a leaf spring, uh, and then a two by four handle. So really, really refined. Uh, but it, uh, it did the job good enough for me. And I used that one quite a bit for, you know, chopping down charcoal to make, make more, uh, to make more charcoal. That's yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. That that's how that's what springboarded your, your knife journey, your knife making journey. An inner, inner nerd, uh, and board, <laughs> but it works. Yeah. And then you mentioned something else just last there to that, that piqued my interest and I actually had circled for something I wanted to ask you, but like, what's, what's something that you've discovered about knife making that like has surprised you, or maybe you didn't think of when you set out on, on your, your journey here. Mm, good, good question. Like, obviously there's some of the logistical challenges around running a business. Is there, is there one that pops out or is there, is there something like within the practice of knife making itself that you never really saw coming that is like a whole another entity. Yeah. Good question. Um, to actually, and to like kind of piggyback off that question too, is, um, you know, I got a couple other friends that are like in the arts side of things when it comes to business. And I remember having conversations with them and I don't know if maybe you find it true or not too, but, um, they said they had a really tough time, like pricing out what they're building because like, they didn't know, like, yeah, it might've took them 10 hours to do it, but like, what's that 10 hours worth to someone. Right. Um, but when it comes to art, I'm always, yeah. I really appreciate art in the first place. Right. So paying for art, it's like, you know, you can buy like a, a printed pr- picture from whatever Ikea for 20 bucks or buy something that someone actually put the time and, you know, into and, and pay 200. And at the end of the day, it's still just a picture, but it's just like, what is it worth to you? Right was that difficult trying to figure out what the pricing of your, of your knives and stuff were like, was that tough to do? Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning, I kind of just had to, to pull numbers out of my, out of my head a little bit where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm covering my, 
my expenses and, and doing okay. Uh, and then most of it initially started just based on the market pricing. Like my initial hunting knives, which I now sell for about 200 or 225. I first sold them for 125 bucks. Uh, and I just couldn't keep them in stock at that price. And they just kind of kept going, going up, uh, and then putting that back into, okay, well, can I also get the time down? Um, and trying to find a, a happy market price, uh, where, you know, and now I've got pretty refined pricing models. Whenever I do anything, any new design, that's why it takes me a while to get a new design into it. Is there's a lot of factors for getting a new design made, uh, but that's part of it too, is like, okay, I made one of them. Well, how long, you know, how long does it take me to make 10 or, or 20 of them? You know, how, how can I do them all in a week? There's certain blades where, okay, maybe I can do a bunch of them, but it's all physical work. It's all grinding work. That's really hard. I might have to, you know, my, my back's going to be shot the next day. Okay. I don't want to do that. I'm going to have to space it out. I'm going to have to plan it into my schedule. And so there's a lot of complicated pricing. So that, that's part of one of, I guess, like the, the scheduling uh, is difficult, but also, I guess one of the, the surprises is like how, uh, at least where I am right now, just cause I'm, I'm, I'm growing and trying to grow the business is like, you say, okay, you're your own boss. You can just take time off whenever it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm always on, you know, <laughs> there's, there's no time off, you know, it's always on. It's like, oh, just take an afternoon off. It's like, well, I, I just can't, you know, like there's, there's so much stuff I got going on. I'm trying to, trying to always learn and, and I've got all different plans. I got different shows coming up. I got retailers I'm working with. I've got online sales that I have to stock. Uh, I've got uh, new designs I want to, I want to launch. So it's, it's all planned out months, uh, months in advance. So I'm trying to get going, but yeah. And back, back to your original question there, something that surprised me. Okay, uh, maybe maybe how thin you can make knife knife edges actually, and they'll they'll hold up. Uh, when I started, I would make such thick edges, and some of them I still do. Like if it's gonna, like I do mostly with my carbon steel hunting knives, just because I I have a lot of people who say like they they use them to just straight hammer through bones, even like my smaller blades. I'm like okay, I'll give them a little bit of extra extra edge that way they hold up really well. But a lot of the stuff you can do, you can put basically a, a razor edge on some really high grade steel and just abuse the crap out of it. And it's, it'll, it'll still hold up. So I guess that could be, that could be one of them, but, and then maybe actually back to your, to your other point there, Sheldon, the, uh, the, the art versus the business side, uh, there was like a period of, you know, a few months where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, I, I like it as a hobby. I like the art of it. Am I going to be okay with it doing it? Like, you know, on a, on a time crunch and this is what I need to survive and doing it 40 hours a week or 80 hours a week, whatever it would be from, from time uh, and every week. Uh, and so that was, that was a bit of a hard transition, but it, the same thing it was, it was that I liked, I kind of liked the business side of it. I like the knife making side of it. It was artistic. It was always something new, even if it's a production model that I've always done. I'm always learning something new. Uh, and it's just, it's just fun to, uh, to be able to, always kind of be able to shake it up a little bit and so that was kind of helpful for keeping things fresh even though you know maybe i've made you know 300 of the same design oh starting a, another batch of another batch of them but it's it is still new every time a little bit so that kind of uh kind of helps i guess yeah. not sure if that answered your question that much but <laughs> it, it spawned another question for me uh which is like i i want to remark on i i got i got one of your japanese petty knives here grayson and uh, I had a few thoughts as soon as I, I picked it out of the box is one. I, I do want to like remark on the, the edge thickness. I was shocked at how thin the, the, the blade itself is. And like, I was like, Oh wow. Like that's, that's light. And I assumed it was sharp, but I was not prepared for how sharp it was. I cut through that first pepper that I, I sliced through. Yep. I was like, there was like no resistance. I, I, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm not like a, a knife efficient. What am I trying to say here, Sheldon? Connoisseur. Connoisseur, yes. 
but yeah. like um like i can't say that i've had a blade that's been that sharp that was like it felt like a razor in so many ways so i was actually kind of surprised to have a, a kitchen knife at that that edge level which was just like and i've I've handled shuns before. I've handled some of like what would be considered, I don't know if those are considered like mid-grade cookware or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, knives that are supposed to be like for kitchenware quite sharp. And this thing kind of blew it out of the water. And then when I was looking at it, I was like, holy shit, I think this is like the first knife. Because Sean and I from Harvester Outdoors were talking about, he bought he bought his son. Every time they kill their first animal, they he buys them uh uh, a new 3030 rifle and this is like uh, a hand-me-down kind of uh kind of family heirloom at this point in time and i looked at it i was like this this is like the first knife i've i've owned where i might like hand this thing down like all the other ones are i've kind of treated as just like work tools in in so many different ways so i mean there's a lot going on in that blade there from what i just described but can you kind of tell us about like the evolution of where you got to that point in in knife making because it's quite something else when you when you unbox this thing so like you've you're clearly providing experience here to some extent like in how did you land there? I guess is what I'm wondering. Yeah, no, well, I really appreciate. I'm really glad you liked it too. Uh, that was actually that knife you have there was my uh, was my prototype for the newest model that I've been working on. Uh, so I was using that one as my my personal one for a bit before I put a handle on it and polished it or whatever, just you know, to test it out. And uh, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Bit, I I gotta yeah. tell people that now. Yeah, <laughs> <You got laughs> one of a kind. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna be um, pulling this thing off the wall. Like this is a prototype, this, by the way. This is the original. Yeah, <laughs> should have put a stamp on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. But yeah, especially especially in terms of kitchen knives, like the that was the the hardest thing to go from from hunting to kitchen knives. Actually, it, it was almost like learning an entirely new uh, skill, just because the the way steel behaves is such a thin. Uh, such a like a thin edge is very bizarre so like when i put uh so that that one was carbon steel uh so you kind of had the, the hammer marks on there from the forging and then and then ground so it's going to etch and get a bit of the, the patina but carbon steel when you grind it and it's so thin what happens when you grind it is it'll actually uh bend uh so if you do one pass off each side it's, it's basically like wood so if you plane wood off one side the stresses in it are going to kind of make it warp so you have to go back and forth uh and stainless steel does it too but a little bit less and so the trick is that Stainless steel will curve uh, into where you're grinding. So if there's a bump, so let's say if it's like a banana, like the raised part is that you're warped, you'll grind on that and that will bring the blade back to flat. Uh, carbon steel is the opposite. If it's curved in like a concave, you want to get, grind on the concave side to bring that part, to raise that part out. Uh, so it's a mm. bit of a weird, uh, a weird way. So like the first time I did, you know, a, a fillet knife or, you know, a, a kitchen knife, which also has to be thin. Then I was like, whoa, this thing turned into a complete banana and it's a complete corkscrew or whatever. How, what, what is this even metal? You know, uh, cause it doesn't take, it takes surprisingly little for it to just twist, even if it's super hard steel. Uh, so learning how to, how to deal with that, you know, even, even pressure off of, on both sides and then keep your, keep your edge the same. So I typically will grind basically to my finished edge on one side and then flip around to the other side of hunting. I so thick. I've never noticed it warping, right? Then when you get to kitchen knives, you have to do it each side. So every time you come back, you have to adjust your angle. And I do all my grinding by hand. So every time you got to pick up that initial edge and you only take a little bit of metal off each time, but you have to make sure that you keep that very precise angle exactly the same and pick it up by, by eye and more by feel actually. Like when I do 
branding now because I've done so many of them. I can I, I kind of just do it by by feel, so I don't even really need to to look at it. Almost I'll know what where it is. So that was pretty difficult. Yeah, and just to to test out what thickness is 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 proper. You know, like you can go I can go way thinner than that blade actually, but you start getting into okay, well all of a sudden this is going to be used to slice open you know uh, joints in, in chicken or or whatever it would be, and you know what is this knife designed for and what are people going to use it for? Because that's kind of two different things too. Because I kind of want my knives to be, for the most part, used for for basically everything in in the kitchen, but to work well for everything. And that's kind of hard to make a jack of all trades, especially kitchen knife. Uh, something that's going to be, you know, a, a wicked slicer is not going to do so good against bone. So learning how to get the middle ground edge that yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great slicer, but also if you if you nick a bone, if you do this or that, it's not going to disintegrate your knife. Uh, is, is kind of the trick um and then actually better better heat treating that was really when i started just notice like okay the heat treating has to be has to be spot on um so up till that point i had uh so c- carbon steel and stainless steel have like completely different heat treating processes because you start with the, the soft steel you can cut it with a bandsaw or whatever the carbon steel you heat up and you quench it in oil uh well, you do a few heat treating processes before that and then you quench it in the oil and then you do the tempering process which is like at a lower temperature uh, and that kind of relaxes the grain, softens it a bit. Stainless is a bit different. You have to heat it up much higher, quench it between aluminum plates, and then soak in liquid nitrogen. Um, and that's what kind of gives a bit of the uh, the better edge retention and corrosion resistance. And then you do tempering as well. But yeah, getting the, the quenchant matters when you do the carbon steel quenching. So I started out with canola oil, and then I preheat it to a specific temperature. And that worked okay, because you know you get it pretty cheap at Costco. Uh, but doing those kitchen knives, you start to realize how you need to get really, really precise and follow the manufacturer's instructions and then test it out too. So like, okay, I need to invest in this, in a specialty oil that's like $350 a gallon uh, in order to get a, a higher quality, uh, you know, blade and just to try to get a bit of a, a more consistent product in, in that regard. But yeah, I, I find the yeah, kitchen knives are a bit more challenging to do, but I, I kind of like the challenge of that too, like keeping the blade keeping the edge straight, keeping it as refined is, is a lot more challenging. So it is quite enjoyable to do. Uh, yeah. Keep you on your toes a little bit. And with the decision to go to, with like a high carbon steel and like all, you, you drop the stainless in some of your blades even, right? There's no, it's just a straight carbon blade. Obviously that's a performance thing, but was that, was that a bit of a leap too? Or like, cause obviously carbon, well, it comes with sharpness. It comes with some drawbacks too. There's a little bit more maintenance and care that has to go into the blade. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, Grayson? Yeah, and that's that's the same thing. That's kind of why I got more into, into stainless as well too. It was from the kitchen side because yeah, you have the the carbon steel is nice. It's got a really you know it, it holds a really good edge. It's very easy to resharpen, which is great for for, for home cooks and chefs. Just got to take you know it doesn't take much to get a sharp edge back on the carbon steel uh, once it eventually does dull. Uh, but yeah, same thing, the maintenance, if you leave the wrong thing on it, like the wrong juices, whatever it is, it'll rust pretty quick. Uh, so you kind of have to you know, wipe it down pretty quick. Uh, I recommend the coat of mineral oil for storage depends on the humidity of your house and, and, and whatnot. Um, my own blades, I don't, uh, and it seems to be fine, but it depends on, on, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of different factors, but yes, yeah, so a little bit more maintenance in that regard, um, just to keep rust from forming and the stainless is kind of more. A little bit more difficult to resharpen, uh, depending on what type of stainless. A lot of people say it's a little bit, it holds the edge a little bit worse than the carbon steel. But there's there's some there's some pretty wicked stainlesses now, especially like that are more used in hunting knives actually that are that are just killer uh, that are 
uh, I haven't gotten to use all, all these uh, these crazy super steels, but some of them are kind of blow some of the carbon out of the way. But when you turn when you come back to like traditional carbon and stainless, and when you kind of do really really broad uh, umbrella of of one versus the other, that's kind of where people come into it. And so I like doing a lot of stainless for user friendliness, right? So you're in the kitchen, you're going to cut a lemon, you're going to cut a whatever, and you leave it there or leave it, you know, until after supper, and then you come rinse it. You don't want to come back and there's a rust monster growing on your knife, on your nice knife, you know, or your whoever it is that comes over from your house, hey, I'll help you cook uh, and slice some stuff and just grab your fancy knife and then, ah, uh, what'd you do? It's, you know, it's red, you know, and it's, uh, you destroyed it. That's a prototype. Uh, so you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One of a kind. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I also think of all my hunting knives too, because like I do some ungodly things to those those blades, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I just would not. I'm not in the mindset when I'm in the bush to be thinking about, hey, I need to put oil on this thing right away or something like that. So, yeah, I could see where the stainless would would pay off in the in that department as well. Yeah, like basically the only thing I'll do the only car- when I do carbon hunting knives, I'll do like an etched patina which helps a little bit with rust it's basically like a gun bluing um and it's not too hard to touch up so like if people like say oh i got a bit of rust on it basically you take a bit of steel wool uh, and like an oil like wd-40 or something like that and you kind of scrub on it a bit and that will help or like a fine grit sandpaper and that'll kind of hide some of the rust spots um otherwise yeah like a polished carbon steel in the in the bush is not gonna uh it it can take some abuse. Although my actually my own uh, my own knife that I have uh, it's kind of a bit of a chopper. Uh, that one is polished carbon steel, and I've I've abused it pretty good. And it actually holds it pretty good because it depends on the carbon steel too and how good you do your heat treating because that's going to really affect your corrosion resistance actually. Instead of like normal stainless steels, it's just stainless steel. These ones and the carbon steel, depending on how you heat treat it, how long you let it soak at the temperatures, is going to give better corrosion protection. So I try to choose carbon steels that are a little bit better for corrosion protection uh but some have drawbacks too so like for example i'll give like my two favorite carbon steels it's gonna be 80 crv2 and 5200 uh both really good carbon steels the 80 crv2 is a little bit more impact resistant a little bit less corrosion resistant and then the 5200 is kind of the opposite so less impact resistance but better corrosion resistance. uh so there's always kind of a bit of a trade-off whenever you choose any any material so that's why i use quite a, a few different uh steels uh, especially between blade types and i usually keep you know the same same steel per, per blade type um but yeah there's just in carbon steels alone there's there's so many different types that work well for knives you kind of have to see what would be better like for my fillet knives and carbon steel there's a the one that's really really springy like it's you can harden it really hard and it'll still not snap which is which is good uh, and obviously what you want in a fillet knife <laughs> uh, but yeah and i i'm wondering too like um we talked we talked a little bit about just keeping the knife in between usages and cleaning it but like when it comes to touch it up or hone it or sharpen it like what what do you recommend for for some of these blades here they're hopefully folks aren't dragging them through the the v slot kind of uh what what is that the slick list slick sticks or something they're called like yeah the accusharp uh whatever i can't remember yeah, that's that's how I started my first my first sharpening was was with one of those and like the carbide teeth you kind of pull through. Um, I would say like and the best thing to do is to touch it up before it actually needs it. You know, bef- you know, especially the kitchen knives too. Like a little bit of a quick touch up, a strop, whatever it is, something that's light and it's not going to remove a ton of material. You don't need to do a full resharpening. Uh, but same with the the hunting knives too. Give it a little bit of a strop from time to time, 
just a little, maybe even like a ceramic coating rod just to kind of bring that edge back before it actually uh, completely chips or breaks away that will really help to prolong the the life of your uh, of your edge um, and then once you know once the edge is gone uh, and you and you do need to resharpen it um, there's a few there's a few systems like you gen, like it's quite hard to sharpen freehand on the stone that's kind of how I learned so that's kind of where I'm I, I'm fairly comfortable you know freehand sharpening on a stone but it takes a, a lot to learn uh, and stainlesses are quite hard to sharpen that way uh, too so like a Lansky system or something like that uh, I haven't used personally but I've I've friend who has one uh, and he uses it and, and quite likes it and so something like that that keeps your edge uh, in you know a set angle it's got the grits that goes up for you and then yeah stropping people always forget to strop their knives uh, when, when they sharpen them and that's like the most important part uh, I, I use a leather bit of buffing compound you can get like different polishes that you can kind of rub into a, a strip of leather and yeah, just go back and forth so you get a bit, a bit of a polished edge or you can't feel the uh, uh, the burr so like I'll typically do it and it's not maybe the best way to do it but it's kind of my test is I'll do it I've really thick calluses on my hands because I work on, on knives obviously uh, and so what I'll do is I once I finish the sharpening I'll kind of just touch the my fingers and I can kind of feel as the blade cuts into my calluses like before it actually cuts me so it doesn't hurt but I can kind of tell it's just kind of slicing the skin and I can feel it not there's no burrs and that's kind of how I can kind of tell uh, but you kind of have to be careful with that particular method but paper also works and is less you know gonna damage your damage your fingers but uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a habit for me but yeah paper is a good way to see if there's any any burrs left but yeah make sure you drop it like even a kitchen knife from time to time you can probably get by with just like a strop with like a like a heavy cut polishing compound does a pretty surprising job of uh, of keeping uh, an edge really well and then you yeah you don't have to resharpen it nearly as much jason i gotta i gotta it might be a tricky question for you because i see i can i can tell you're an entrepreneur and you like to sell things but yeah. i want to ask you the question of if it's your knife or not your knife but like um i know i just know because in in a lot of camps deer camps whatever that i've been to we've talked about knives before about razor knives compared to like say a buck knife or your traditional like deer hunting uh knife but like for somebody that's going to go out and spend a bit more money to get something to last them that much longer, um, what, like for, 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 let's say an, a hunter, let's start with a mm-hmm. hunter. What would you suggest? Like what kind of steels would you look for? Like what, it, what would you want in a knife to like, you know, skin an animal or, or just have like that good knife where you're going to invest some money. It's going to last you a while. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, look at the steel type. So uh, 440 steel, I'll kind of start there. Is, is, is a can be a good stainless steel there's multiple types of 440 i can't remember how many types there's like got to be over a dozen the most common ones that are used for knives are a b and c uh sometimes like d or e kind of can trickle in for really cheap ones most production knives and they say 440 steel on i'd say like sub 80 dollars are going to be 440b or 440a which aren't usually awesome. So try to find the 440C ones, which perform significantly better than 440X. Most of the time, just say 440 steel. And why, uh, why is to, that? I'm not sure what the exact composition is. I think it more so just edge retention and abrasion resistance. So it's, it's a hard steel to work with. And that's kind of where some of the cheaper knives, you know, it's going to be in manufacturing. It's going to take a lot more wear on the tools. It's going to take a lot more time to machine uh, such a harder steel. Uh, the heat treating is a little bit more complicated and a bit more precise. And so some of those steels do tend to lend more towards custom, you know, custom makers. Uh, but 440C is pretty, pretty ubiquitous in, in a lot of hunting knives too. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've done a fair bit with like CPM steel steels too. So like personally, I quite like stainlesses for for hunting knives. Um, so like CPM uh, S35VN, I, I quite like. And there's a few of the other the other higher end steels. So like look into a few of those steels uh, and determine if they're going to be better for brace resistance or impact resistance. Because that's what I found with a lot of people when I've done a lot of like I do most of trade shows. So I'll talk with people and say, well, what do I want it for? And so I'll have some guy and he'll look at the same knife and he'll say, I skin an entire animal i don't even you know touch a bone not even you know the tiniest bit the next guy's like the way i do a deer is i gotta hammer every bone with this and a hammer going through it you know like and i gotta hammer (laughs) all the way through it right so there's there's a ton of different techniques and it's crazy too like the uh, the you know the size of a blade i've sold like my my varangian knife is like six or seven inch blade like big blade thick edge and the I've sold quite a few of those where people are like this is exactly what I like for skinning, and then other people say I only want like a two inch blade, like nothing mm-hmm. other than that is going to get into my nothing bigger than that is going to get into my pack. And the next guy will come along, just as decked out in camo as the last guy, and be like this is useless, you know. <laughs> and yeah. so it's very interesting to see what you know, and and people who do it do it a lot, you know, have have a lot of preference. So know what you like to do, and then yeah, learn what those deals are. So like, okay, maybe is S thirty five is it as impact resistant as I want. Um, how you know and and what kind of hunts do i do um am i going to be going for a while and might need to touch it up quickly in the field is it what it's a steel bit easier to touch up in the field versus something else that you're gonna have to take it into get professionally resharpened and then you're out there for two weeks and you're you have a dull knife kind of you know a little bit embarrassed while everyone else is still cutting cutting away with their way cheaper knife you know because it was you know a different uh you know for different applications so there's, there's a lot of different brands and it comes down to yeah some you know yeah, you're you're hunting style because a lot of times people think, okay, I need a beater to to break a rib cage or to or to pop you know, uh, joints or whatever whatever it is. I need to have a beater knife that I don't care about, and then here's my my razor blade that I'm going to do this with. You know, so if you have to pick one that does everything, kind of try to find you know what what you want in your pack. And yeah, same thing if you're going to be going for a few weeks, uh, how many knives do you want to make sure you have on you still at the end of the week? And you know, is is knife number eight still in here? You know what? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I like stainlesses for my hunting knives, actually. So that's kind of, you know, I'm not as a, as a abusive on them uh, that, that I kind of would go with the carbon steel. I like to look at the carbon steel a bit better, but I'm mm-hmm. a bit more like, I like it clean. Yeah. Yeah. I'd hate to use this saying, but I think it's fitting, but there is a million ways to skin a cat. So if you're a beater or, you know, a finesse guy, when it comes to skinning, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. But um, then I guess my flip side of this question is, is that I have, um, uh, the filleting knife that you've that you've made um is there like a certain seal that was used on that i i, I didn't do much research on it or, or anything on your website and i'm sure you could probably find a lot on there but like what is it what is your filleting knife like like what is uh what's what's so good about it yeah okay so and, and actually i was gonna ask you because that was the first design that was also kind of a prototype uh was uh I, I put a really really thin edge on there uh so i wanted to see how it's actually going to hold up and with with some with some heavy abuse because it is a harder steel but really thin edge so that's kind of where it comes up to to how it's holding up so hope, hopefully it's holding up if not then i might oh, yeah. put a bit of a thicker edge on there yeah just, oh so yeah so far, far so i was kind of telling you i haven't been out fishing yet this uh in this new season so it's uh it's in the on the schedule to get out so hopefully i catch some stuff worth skinning and i'll give you some good feedback on it but like my like i'm probably gonna sound exactly like tristan my initial thoughts of when i pulled that knife out of its boxes i just I couldn't believe like how nice it was. And I was just like, 
like it's almost like you're getting a knife like i don't really want to take fishing because it's it is nice and like the handle and like that's the other thing i want to talk to you about too is like flip side of like doing the forging like your handles like do you do all that yourself too yeah yep uh everything like i started when i started the only thing i didn't do is the sheath uh but now i do that as well too uh so the handles handles are really fun part that's actually kind of the most dangerous part. Uh, a lot of the materials you use are, are not really good for, for your health, uh, such fine dust and stuff. Uh, but there's a million different things you can do. And like synthetics are, are crazy. You can do some pretty crazy things that work good for outdoor, outdoor things. Um, and the tricky thing with the handles is, and, and why I do sell really well in person more so than online is like, it all depends on how it feels in your hand. And I'm trying to find like a, a jack of all trades kind of feel. So when I design my handles, I try to come up with something that's going to fit you know, 75% of the population or, or, you know, 60% of the population instead of, you know, you know, 10% of the population because it's a really small blade or, or, okay, this guy's six foot eight and, and has giant hands, you know, don't need something, uh, you know, really big. I try to find something that fits most of the population as good as I can. Uh, and so it's kind of tricky. Like when I did a custom work, that was a tricky thing. I'd have to, you know, send templates in the mail. Okay. How does this feel? Here's, here's five different templates. How does this feel to you? You know? Uh, mm-hmm. So now I kind of try to do, do the you know the, the split the difference a little bit but yeah no uh, all, all the handle work everything i used to do like stainless heat treating used to outsource but now i've kind of done that uh, in-house and i actually do that for other knife makers too um but yeah slowly kind of tried to uh, incorporate things into my own business and like that's kind of where being able to do it as my business versus uh, as a hobby like it made more sense for me to invest in the in the proper heat treating stuff and the stuff for doing the handles to buy in bulk to get a bit of a discount um th- at that point it makes more sense for me to do it otherwise there's certain things you'd just outsource because like okay oh i'd rather pay the 50 bucks for someone else to do x uh but now it's like okay now i got to do 100 times you know or you know 10 times 50 then all of a sudden it's 500 bucks you start to get close to okay well what if i buy it in bulk and figure out a way to do it myself you know um and that's kind of where i've slowly been expanding my, my stuff now i've got pretty much uh, qu- quite a bit of stuff i uh, i do almost everything think everything myself actually but yeah that's cool man that's super cool and i yeah like kudos to you for doing that the one you know i'm going to give you one um boots on the gun boots on the ground tip yeah if you ever if you ever get to that point is you gotta have them handle with like some sort of like fluorescent like color in it because i don't know how many knives i've like laid down in the grass (laughs) or whatever to do something go turn around to grab it and i'm like hey where'd i put it you know because the handles cam or black or brown or whatever and you're like the fuck where did did this thing go yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that's the thing too like i'll have certain ones at the shows and be like here's like a camouflage handle and they're like that looks super cool and i'm almost like well here's a bright blue handle uh you know and blue looks cool too like a lot of people like blue but yeah what you know what's what's going to get lost uh and that's kind of the, or maybe that's the like trick. maybe that's part of your business plan hey let's uh let's get them to lose them now have to buy another uh, one right <laughs> you, honestly I've, I've had a few and people are like yeah it's gone i, I like it. i'm gonna buy another one right away like, oh okay <laughs> you know i feel bad or I'll, I'll try to make something work with them but it's like <laughs> but oh, i appreciate man. that you came back you know <laughs> yeah uh oh. yeah it always feels bad when you when you when you lose something like that but i haven't had too many that i, that I know of uh but yeah i always try to try to make something make something work and same with like warranty stuff too if something does get damaged like i offer lifetime resharpening on all my blades so oh, as no long way. as you can get it to me uh twice per year i'll do a, a resharpening little touch up uh for free uh, and then yeah as long as you cover like shipping both ways or drop it off and pick up whatever it uh, whatever it is um that's I try, cool. to, I try to always you know help out and stuff because 
yeah um it's supposed to last a lifetime yeah and like so then i got another kind of question about like production and stuff but what do you what do you find is like your most popular knife with the outdoors people or the outdoors world um like maybe not necessarily like the bushcraft side of things but let's say like the hunters and anglers and stuff like that what's your like obviously a filleting knife but yeah what's some of your most popular ones there yeah so like my my most popular is my auxiliary model for, for hunting and outdoors so i offered in stainless on carbon so it's about a three and a half four inch just kind of a standard drop point hunter i yeah like my style i like to offer like carbon steel with a wood handle stainless steel with a synthetic handle so carbon steel i say is is a little bit of a thicker edge if you're going to be wailing on bones and really abusing it that one's good for that stainless can be a bit of a finer edge uh so more of a more of a razor blade but still can hold up pretty well um so that's kind of my most popular i've also got my legionnaire model which is just a bit smaller a lot of people wear it it's like an edc blade because it's, it's small enough you can kind of use it as as an edc blade but it is a bit of a smaller handle like i'm, I'm about six feet uh and i've got a medium to largish hands uh, and that one's like on the edge of being too small for my hand i like a smaller handle uh but yeah the same thing like people want to be able to feel it like some people want to grab it like a baseball bat others people like i barely want to feel the handle in there i just want to have just the you know when I'm going in, I want to hold it so that I can adjust any which way, you know, uh, without having to have to only grab it in one in one way. Uh, so that handle is a bit more rounded in that way versus the the oval of the auxiliary, so a bit more grip in, in one way. And I find people use that a little bit more for for general purpose camping too. So those are pretty popular for for both of those. Those are kind of my my bread and butter is is those two those two blades. Uh, and then in the kitchen world. Uh, my western style chef is is pretty pretty popular uh, it's kind of like an eight inch uh european style chef knife with like a stabilized handle not they usually do in stainless and then i've also got like my japanese petty knife so those will offer in carbon or stainless uh, and those are those are my most popular yeah i guess my most popular four models and that kind of makes up like those those four models i would say make up maybe 75 percent of my of my sales um and then i've got little things too like so like my neck knives are pretty fun I have a lot of people use those for uh, uh, mushroom picking. So just a little skeletonized black, blacked out uh, neck knife. And sometimes I'll do like, yeah, a colored uh, tail on them. Uh, Can you explain what a neck knife tail. is? In case, yeah, I, don't even, I don't even know what a neck knife is. <laughs> people are always worried when they say neck knives. Like, oh, like <laughs> you see at the shows, people say like, talk, like swallow and they kind of look at their, grab their throat <laughs> and they kind of look at their body and they're like, oh no. And I'm like, no, no, don't worry. <laughs> you know, this is not kind of neck knife, but it, it, you are like a necklace basically. And most there are a lot of neck knives you'll wear with like the handle pointing up so you kind of have to stick it down i like it so the handle's pointing down so when you're mushroom picking or foraging um you bend over it kind of swings in front of you you can grab the mushroom and you, with one pull you just pull the knife out quickly you know grab your cut your mushroom put it right back up and you keep going uh so that one's really popular for for that sort of thing super lightweight so it's kind of my, my ultra lightweight design so because mm. the handle is, is skeletonized just a wee little you know four inch four inch blade uh, like overall knife size uh, so just a cute little knife and then i'll offer different color like handle wraps for it too uh so you can go like black or camo if you want or uh like blaze orange red blue kind of uh stuff so th those are pretty fun a lot of people get them for like kids or for camping and stuff too uh just as like a first knife and something that's fun to play around with because uh, they're kind of fun to just have as a as a necklace you know who doesn't want a knife necklace yeah exactly no, i want a knife <laughs> necklace Oh, yeah. two of them. Yeah. Um, I got one more question. Maybe I'll hand it over to Tristan. I don't want to take up too much of your time either getting close to an hour here, but um, in your store there, like, is there anything else that you're, you're, you're creating or making that's 
that's not a knife like are you doing uh, anything else like out of the kind of the out of the ordinary or like custom projects or anything like that yeah i do i do a few custom projects throughout the year uh mostly now i do customized things so i get to do some kind of fun things people are like oh i have this crazy material i got i have you know or need this crazy material would you put it into one of your knives so I'll do something fun like that like i'm working right now and like with a client who wants a uh, mother of pearl inlays in the handle which, which should be fun i've done uh, yeah so that that'll be working on soon with Damascus steel so that's always always a fun project and you get to kind of work with like a pattern steel too uh, and a little bit more of a like more much more artistic uh, in in nature um and i've done a few i really i really wish i could have found a way to produce them in a way that was efficient i did some tomahawks like traditional tomahawks out of a railroad spike so like when i started oh. i made a lot of railroad spike knives uh, and that was kind of what my what got me started at like trade shows and stuff like that and then I figured out a way to make like a, a traditional tomahawk where you remove the handle with like one hit. Uh, so basically you have the, the ash handle wedges out near the top. So you flip it upside down, you kind of just drive it onto the ground and it'll seat the, the tomahawk head. When you're done with it, you flip it upside down and like holding it like a normal tomahawk. If you just hit the pommel, like the end on the ground, the head will come off and you wear it on your belt. Like that's what traditionally people uh, would do. And then they would oh, no. you know, get a new stick whenever they found it and use that head carve your new your new tomahawk handle because instead of carrying around this big heavy stick the whole time you know uh so i did those and i made them of a railroad spike so like the one end was the uh, was like the hammer end that was the head of the spike and then the other side was the was the the bit of the tomahawk and they work pretty good for throwing and i really wish i could have like i made a bunch of them and i just couldn't figure out a way to make them even remotely close to being able to sell them for for a decent rate more than you know four dollars an hour uh so uh, those were pretty fun but I do some some other you know stuff like I work with a lot of other knife makers across Canada which is a good way to kind of expand uh, and see what other people are doing because I run a lot of water jet jobs like I stock a lot of steels and then water jet blades for other guys and do heat treating for other knife makers so I get to see a lot of their uh, you know designs or what you know, their customers like uh, so some some interesting ones I'm always surprised like a lot of guys have really small handles or the like you know, just interesting thicknesses they choose. And so it'll be interesting to see once they're actually made, okay, this is kind of a neat design. Like, you know, it's literally the, the sky's the limit. And it, it's so, you don't feel like you're competing, you know, with, with uh, in a lot of ways in that sense with a lot of the other knife makers because your styles are so different. They're for very different purposes, even within with hunting, for example, or, or kitchen use, uh, that you don't feel too much like you're competing because it's, you know, there's, there's an, enough of the pie for, for everyone in that way. And you're learning from other people too. It's like, okay, I put this type of edge on. I want this kind of heat treat. Uh, so you get to kind of slowly pick up and that helps to refine the skills. And I'm, I'm still learning quite a bit, but you get to pick up things from, from different people like that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you decide to do a hatchet, I, I want the prototype for my, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tristan got an awesome yeah. chef's nice prototype. I want the hatchet. Yeah. <laughs> you got awesome. it. Yeah. I want I to make it, one more for myself. <laughs> I hope it's huge. I hope it's like an eight foot axe or something like that. <laughs> yeah. A battle axe. Barely left it. Bears, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of making like ungodly weapons, um, I got, I have to ask before we, we let you go, but uh, I got super into forge and fire over the pandemic mm -hmm. and obviously it's got a little bit of the Hollywood flair to it, but like, what, what do you think of the show? Like, is it, is, I, 
I'm sure there's elements of it that are realistic or is there elements that just drive you wild watching it? Um, I've, I've heard mixed reviews from, from f- folks who actually forage, but you know, someone who's, who's doing it kind of on the reg here, like, what did you think? Does it, could you see yourself going on the show or would you, would you, uh, kind of pass at the, the Hollywood aspect of it? Like, what do you think there, Grayson? Well, well, big question. Lots of opinions to, to, to respond with here. Um, so for, for starters, actually, I was almost on the show right before COVID. Um, I got to like the third round of interviews and that was the face, like the Zoom interview. Mm. Uh, so I got through that and they're like, yeah, sounds good. Uh, and, and it sounded really positive, like I was going to be on the show. And then when the pandemic hit and everything got like the borders got shut down, then they just said they weren't taking any Canadians because it would have, they would have like, had to isolate, they would have had to isolate the team back and forth. It would have been, it extended their time frame by like two months or whatever, because they had to go back and forth so many times. So they said it wouldn't have worked. Uh, so that would have been really exciting, uh, but didn't work out. Um, in terms, I, I would go on again. I, I would attempt to do it, but like I'm not in any rush to to apply just because it's not as much my focus right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be fun. I find, the, the I guess the, the two main, I don't know if they're downsides, or two main misconceptions people get from watching that show is that every per, every knife maker makes knives like they do on, on the show. Uh, you know, like they start with that train track and hammer it down. Uh, but in reality, it's like, no, if I'm making a knife that's an eighth of an inch thick by two inches wide, I'm going to start with steel that's an eighth of an inch thick and two inches wide, you know, <laughs> instead of instead of something huge and hammer it down. Like, uh, so that's kind of one of the, the, the things where it's more, they, they kind of cater more towards the, the hobby ideas of it. Like, okay, well, can we do this canister to mask? There's a few guys who do it for production, uh, but it's mostly in there, which there's nothing wrong with it. Like it's, it's exploring the artistic side of what you can do if you're not constrained by, okay, I have to get this done in four hours uh, for, for my, you know, my job. And I have to be careful about the time and, and, and the cost that go into it. It's like, okay, I can spend some time just kind of messing around, figuring out something cool. So there's more of, of that that goes into it. But I, then I guess kind of the only other downside would be like the, the heat treating that kind of shows. So like everyone talks about the, the quench, you know, you take it out, you stick it in flaming oil. And that part kind of drives me crazy. So like they do a, a pretty like, uh, I don't know, they don't show a lot of the, the heat treating process. So when you, when you heat treat a carbon steel, uh, there's typically six steps to the, sometimes seven, uh, to the heat treating process. They only show usually the quench. Uh, so what you got to do after, especially after forging, you have to normalize it. So after forging, the steel is all very stressed and is very prone to cracking. The edge isn't going to hold. Uh, and it can shatter pretty pretty easily. So you have to normalize it. So you have to take it up to very precise temperatures, hold it, let it air cool, take it up to another temperature, hold it in air cool, and do that a third time with, at a different temperature. And so different steels have different temperatures. You have to do it at different things. Uh, so once you do that, then you do the quench. So you heat it up, and then you quench it in the oil. That's what makes it really hard. And then after that, you do the tempering cycles. So if you were to use the knife as is, like if you even drop it on the, on the concrete, like it would shatter. Like it's as hard as glass after the quench. Uh, and I've actually done some testing. So like if you don't temper it quickly and so tempering is when you bring it up to about 300 to 450 degrees, depending on the steel and the, and the blade uh, and you leave it in the oven uh, at that temperature for about two hours. And you have to do two cycles of that, two or three, depending on the steel. Um, if you don't do that, your blade can actually explode. So like I've done some tests where you, you quench it and you know, when you put like a seashell up to your ear and you can kind of hear like the ocean ringing or whatever the steel does that so like you can hold it for an hour maybe uh, and it will still be ringing after the heat treating just because there's so much stress in the steel 
that it sounds like like it's just vibrating and you can hear it ringing mm. quite quite loud and if you leave it eventually it'll just like shatter so i've done some tests where i just leave it overnight and i come back and it's just self-destructed um so they don't show like all those steps um and i think the only the only downside is like i know a few people who learned from forged in fire uh and that can be dangerous too because like if you don't know okay you have to temper it uh, like I know of a guy who did uh, did knife sharpening, and so one guy had made a, a custom chef knife for the guy, resharpened it, hadn't tempered it, uh, and he went to just like do a, like a basic sharpening that you do for any other knife, and it snapped and it went into his eye, and he lost his eye because it hadn't been tempered properly. Oh, wow. So there's a you got to like really be careful with like the learning um, aspects of it. But overall, I do like the show. Like, I, I would totally go on it if they if they had me on. I also like hearing myself talk, so I don't mind uh, <laughs> don't mind that. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it'd be a fun experience. And yeah, you get a little bit more freedom to kind of mess around with some crazy techniques, a like canister, Damascus, or this or that. Plus, they got some really cool, really fun toys that I would like to play around with. Power yeah. hammers and hydraulic presses and stuff. Yeah, those power hammers scare me. I'm like, I would be the guy that would stick my hand in that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's those. Those are cool. Like, there's one guy in, in BC who sells those, and it's a cool test. Like, if you know how to use them, he does this test where you put a like a, a matchbox under the power hammer, and you like open the matchbox, and you have the control with those units that like 250 pounds of ram, and you can just slowly, if you want, just slowly close that matchbox while with all hammering. Like, you have that much control without damaging the matchbox, uh, and then you and then you can also like destroy literally anything. But like, if you know how to use them, you can make some pretty crazy. <laughs> crazy things uh one day one day maybe i don't do as much forging now because it's mostly stock removal uh but you know definitely a fun fun toy there's a couple guys in manitoba who use them so get to play around with it from time to time tristan you got anything else yeah i had a couple here just like bringing it back okay, to nice. bringing it back to reality here you, you grayson you got a few new blades coming into the lineup and like i was wondering if you could just talk to us about what that the new blades coming out are kind of about and and what you're looking to to share with folks yeah yeah like well the first one is uh is, is my new fill knife design so a bit of a harder steel pretty thin edge i'll probably make it a little bit thicker going forward but still relatively thin i'll get some feedback from you after the after the meeting i'm sure too um and and future use once you go out you said too um and then uh with the synthetic handle so that's my new fill knife that i've been pushing uh this spring uh and then also my barbecue line uh, that I've been really, th- uh, you know, working on for a while. So I've got four, four blades currently in my barbecue line. I got, you know, cleaver, two sizes, a brisket knife, and then a trimming knife. Uh, so that you know, you can kind of get ready for for all your barbecuing needs. One's carbon steel, one's stainless. So some people like the the carbon for getting that patina. You get the forged, the forged uh, look to it. The stainless is yeah, lower maintenance. Um, so those ones, and then uh, yeah, a few new Japanese designs, which I'm. I'm pretty pumped about it's like Japanese petty, Japanese uh, gyoto, which is like a bigger chef knife, uh, and uh, nakiri, which is a vegetable cleaver. So those are a few new, new designs I'm doing. But yeah, mostly the the fillet knife and the barbecue set are the ones I'm really uh, excited about pushing uh, and, and brand new to uh, to this year. I'll be launching on my website pretty soon. Probably yeah, once before this video comes out and <laughs> the podcast comes out. Yeah. Well, I can tell you the the petty knife is is sharp as fuck, and <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be doing some work in the kitchen there. So I'm excited about that. Um, I I had a bit of a, a quirky question for you too to to kind of close mm-hmm. out my section here. But like, do you do you have a daily carry for your blade, and 
and have you if so have you ever like found yourself in a situation can where you have like failed to bring a knife with you and you've kind of like got egg on your face now because that's what you do for a living yeah yep that has happened <laughs> I, I i find it difficult to carry another like the 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 thing for me folding knives that's kind of my my uh guilty pleasures like there's so many high-end folding knives that i really really want to have uh but you know when you're looking at 300 dollars a folding knife and there's you know 10 of them that i really really want at this moment you can't really buy all of them so you, i kind of make do with some cheap ones and i made some for myself too um so those are kind of fun that i usually like to have on but yeah i i, I find that i notice whenever i don't have one on for no matter w- without fail if i don't have a knife on then it'll be like oh shoot i gotta cut something all of a sudden and then everyone's like oh wow the knife guy you know doesn't have a knife you know <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh that has definitely happened, but yeah, my, my usual everyday carry is actually my, I call it my EDC, everyday, my everyday carry knife. This little guy, a lot of people like it for hunting and skinning too. Uh, it's my shop knife too. It's a, it's a beater. It's just a, just a cute little knife. I can throw it. It like fits in your in like coin pocket or whatever on your, uh, on your jeans. So like the whole sheath fits in there. So it kind of, you can wear it like that or just clip it onto a belt. You can also wear it horizontally. So it's kind of, you know, you can wear it where, wherever. That's kind of my, my go-to because I like a bit of a smaller knife, just, you know, for, for mm-hmm. an everyday carry uh, about two inch blade i guess yeah cool awesome yeah, that's that's cool hey grayson why don't you drop your line like let uh, everyone know where they can find you on social media website like where where, where can we find you yeah so instagram you can start out there uh fair forge works uh grayson fair um and then i've also got facebook uh same name but i've also got my website it's fair forge works at myshopify.com uh, and then also my Etsy page, so Fair Forge Works. But yeah, if you, if you even just Google Fair Forge Works, uh, Winnipeg Knife Maker, Winnipeg Knives, I should come up. I've you know tried to work on my SEO a little bit, so I, you don't have to scroll too far. Hopefully, before you you hear about me a little bit. But yeah, Fair Forge Works. If you Google me, you'll you'll find me. Whatever uh, your favorite social media of, of choice. Yeah, right on. Um, yeah, like just the kind of final remarks here is uh, like for me, it's just you know thanks for coming on. Like. Uh, and and getting us some of these knives to to use try out i mean like i said when we uh we talked at the the outdoor show that was definitely something that was in it was on my radar was to get a good knife that uh that i can use and 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 especially a good filleting knife i seem to go through you know kind of those cheap Canadian tire ones like three or four of them a year and uh, i always like so kind of a side story for you grayson but I, um, I, I, all, I believe that you go through three or four fillings yeah, I know. a year. <laughs> I know, I'm terrible at losing stuff. But um, when, when it came to, I know this is going to sound really off topic, when it came to sunglasses, I used to always buy like garage or uh, gas station um, sunglasses because I was like, oh, I always break them or I always uh, lose them. And then I remember I got my first like pair of Oakleys um, and I had them for like two years. And it's like, you take, yep. you know, you have almost like appreciation for a little bit more um, of a product, like a better product. So that's what like kind of my thinking is with this, with this flooding knife. So I'm going to keep uh, it. Uh, and it's going to look good. I'm going to have it for a long time. Hope, I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, wind up in the bottom of the lake there. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you, uh, uh, what you're doing. And, and again, like uh, anybody that's listening, uh, at the very least, go check out Grayson's um, Instagram, Facebook, or his website. Supporting local, um, local can mean anything. It can mean your province, your country, or even your continent. So look him up, check his stuff out. We really appreciate it. And Grayson, we appreciate you taking the time to come on the, 
podcast and explaining knives i've learned a lot here tonight so thank you very much no yeah thanks uh, thanks for having me really appreciate it uh, looking forward to hear right on right on okay well thanks again for jumping on and we'll see you down the trail perfect right on. well that was episode 151 with grace and fair from fair's forge works if anybody's looking to get some of his equipment i mean we talked about it throughout the entire pro, uh, podcast episode uh, he's got some cool stuff so at the very least support a local business and just check him out or follow him on instagram or facebook um on this outro i just want to mention our store to panoramicoutdoors.com we are in stages of reconstruction as in we are redoing the store so we're kind of streamlining some products and we're getting some new products in i was actually just talking to annette at pro time in Nikwa, um who does our a lot of our stuff and she's got more hats for us ready to go for the summer i just got to get down there and pick them up so look for them um what else what else am i missing about the store april that's it that's it that's all yeah other than that do you have any final thoughts questions or concerns before we end this podcast episode i think we took a lot of (laughs) time (laughs) concerns we took a lot of time at the intro so we did no i i have no concerns for you i just yeah i don't know not not too many thoughts going on i i'm excited for I was really hoping that, see, I have two items from Fair Forgeworks. Uh, I have a filleting knife and I have kind of like a, a hunting buck knife sort of thing. And I was so hoping that I would have shot a turkey this spring so I could give it a little test on some some animal <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, and use it that way. But that didn't happen. So hopefully this fall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know Tristan got like a chef style knife. Like I think it's called mm-hmm. Japanese something. I can't remember what it's called exactly, but did you see his Instagram post when he was like cutting a pepper or something? Like it just, just slicing through. I was unbelievable. I was like, Frick, I need to get one of those. So I got to talk nice to him, not to Tristan, to, to Mr. Fair to see if I can maybe <laughs> slide another <laughs> knife this way. Talk nice to him. Uh, yeah. I did see Tristan's knife before he ended up using it because I got all of them mailed to me there. And then I delivered you know, to each one of you guys. And um, I took a look at his knife before I uh, passed it along there for him. And it was, yeah, it was, it was really nice and done a little bit differently. Like this, the chef knives have a, a I don't want to call it a coating, but like a, almost a coating, not a, um, how shall I say this? Not a, um, not a finish on the metal that is permanent. Um, it, it looked like almost like an oil coating of some sort. And, uh, I was just like, Whoa, this looks fancy. Yeah. Yeah. His stuff is super nice. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, before we end this episode, I just want to give one, one more shout out to this one that we don't do too often, but they are a huge supporter of our podcast, dry shot boots. Um, they're the boots that we've been wearing for the last three or four years now. Uh, mm-hmm. We were on fishing, hunting. April's got some. I got some. Chase, Tristan. I don't even know if Brendan has some yet, but he's going to get some. We wear them all the time and uh, we wear them in every season. So if you're looking to get a new boot this year, if you're doing chores at the farm or you're um, doing hunting or fishing or camping or whatever you do, make sure you check out Dry Shod. Um, 
they're an awesome company. The guy that runs it there, Jay, uh, out, of, out of Alberta, who we get our boots from. Amazing guy to work, work for, work with. So check them out. And to everyone else that's listening to the podcast and been avid listeners for 151 episodes, it's huge. It's huge for us that we went over that 150 mark. Thank you very much. We appreciate everyone else that listens. We, we appreciate everyone that leaves comments or, or rates us on iTunes. Every time that you can do that, if you have a minute to go and just leave a comment, give us a five-star rating, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, it, it helps us grow. It gets our name out there and it shows our product in different parts of basically the world in, in, in search categories or whatever, outdoor categories, I mean, or when you search our name or outdoor stuff. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything to leave a comment, to share the podcast episode on your social media or, or, you know, when, when Panoramic shares that they have, you know, posted something from their profiles or, or, you know, on Facebook or Instagram, it's, it's free to share, you know, that post, it's free to share the podcast episode from the platforms and just, you know, you can, you can put the link in your stories or anything like that. And that's super appreciated to help kind of, you know, get the word out there and grow the community. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the one thing I'm going to go off with a tangent here before we <laughs> say goodbye, but the one thing that drives me absolutely fucking bonkers is like, um, obviously we run our own Insta, or we run our own social media platforms. Sometimes we'll make a post on Facebook and it gets a little bit of traction. You might get a couple of shares, some likes, which is great. They're never going to complain about that. But then there's some people out there that like post about their spin class and they get like, 50 likes and like 20 shares and stuff it's like really about someone going to the gym like that's i guess is an achievement but that drives me nuts like no one cares if you're going to the gym <laughs> but I also don't. you have to remember sheldon they don't care about your podcast or that you hunt or that you fish when there's been class yeah you're right okay we'll let's end it with that <laughs> thanks for listening <laughs>